0: Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Welcome in. Not to the last day of 2020, but our last show of 2020. We're off tomorrow and Friday, and then we'll be back Monday. And here on this final day, I think we need to talk about the stories of 2020. Yesterday, we talked about the plays. The stories of 2020. What is the biggest story of 2020? Um... And you know, you can divide this up like we did on TV, good and bad, or just the biggest story. It's, I mean, the pandemic impacted everybody. So I don't see how it's anything other than the pandemic. Although, if you just, it's funny, if you narrow it down to the worst story of 2020, then I think, you know, is it Ty Jordan's death or the pandemic? Those are both horrible stories. Um, in any year, either one of those could easily be the worst story of the year. And, and here we've got both of them in 2020. So thanks, 2020. I'm neither the first or last person to say that. I think if you're looking for, uh, if you get away from those stories, like what are the big stories of the year? I think the NBA bubble is a big story of the year. Maybe all of the bubbles, uh, hockey and soccer and basketball all did the bubbles. Um, baseball did a modified bubble for the playoff. Um, But I think the bubble in basketball, because it's literally going to change the NBA going forward, the long-term ramifications, we saw what happened um, to the, the highest skilled players in the NBA. It's like when you put them in a bubble, you essentially freed them. You freed them of the burden of travel. You freed them of the burden of all these airline flights. And coming out of there, you know, Dennis Lindsay... Uh, when he speaks in public, sometimes he'll talk in circles and make sure he doesn't say anything you know, that is too outrageous or is going to come back to haunt him. And he's, but he will tell you stuff. And I know some of you don't like listening to him and you got to wade through stuff to get to it. And that's true. You do. But he does. Like If you look back, the Jazz signing Rudy Gobert, that's a big story. That's got to be listed if you do a top 10 or top 20 stories of the year. The Jazz giving Gobert this contract. Well, if you listen to, to what Dennis said when he said, well, you guys report on what you see, which is it should be. But there's also the things we're looking for that we don't see him going after referees, him wearing out his teammates with his opinions on the way back to the huddle. And so you look at it, it's like, OK, there was a discussion like if we're going to invest in this guy in the long run what do we need to see done and what do we need to see eliminated? Because if you give somebody more money, you essentially give them more power and then you can enable the worst behavior pretty quickly. And so they saw the changes they wanted and Rudy wanted to make the changes because he wanted the money and he wanted to be here and he wants to win and he was convinced that these suggestions they had would help do all those things. So we did them. You know? And so when Dennis told us that, it was a sign. And after the bubble, Dennis said, well, we're not going to eliminate airplane travel, but... And we're not going to play in bubbles going forward because I think you are going to see games grouped. You know, they used to under the theory that hey, somebody in New York will come see the visiting team, so have them play the Knicks on one trip through New York, and then months later have them play the Nets. Right in the NBA, it's a business move. The NBA will make more money because Jazz fan or. Heat fan or Lakers fan or Warriors fan, whoever, uh, is not going to want to see their team twice in three nights. Now they're thinking, they flip that, they're like, hey, we'll let them play the twice in three nights and we get a better quality of product. So I think the bubble, we're going to put the bubble on there It's a list of stories of the year. Uh, the BYU football team story of the year, their best season in a long time. I think later in the show we need to go through and and grade out all the teams on the seasons they had. What kind of a year was it in 2020 for the Jazz or BYU football or basketball or the Utes or Aggies football or basketball? We can do all that going forward. Got to take a break right now, uh, but that's some of the stuff we'll be getting into later in the day. Coming up next, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio and Pac-12 Network analyst. Man, was he in the middle of it? We'll talk with him next DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Time to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. Lincoln, good morning.
2: Good morning, gentlemen, to you and yours. Happy holidays. I hope everybody's safe and healthy. And as always, I appreciate being with you guys, so thanks for having me.
0: Well, we appreciate having you on, and Happy New Year to you, too. The countdown is on. Yes. Yes. So I don't know how you do it, but you find yourself right in the middle of the best stories. We love having you on. <laughs> what did you think? And I don't want to put it on Jacobs because I think he was told to do it. And so he was just executing the plan. Right. But yeah. Jacob slides at the one yard line. Yeah. Did you feel good about that when he, when it happened? Or did you think, no, there's too much time. This is a problem.
2: Let me me preface this by saying that I understand the situation that a lot of players are in, especially young players who are new to the game and just want to do what they're instructed to do, don't want to be that person that costs their team a game. But I played for John Gruden, uh, and John Gruden was conservative back when I played for him, and he's still conservative today. And there have been a lot of things that I didn't necessarily see eye-to-eye with him uh, first and most notably, he's a lot shorter than I am. So it's not really <laughs> eye to eye. It's not really fair. It's eye to top of head. Anyway, that's another that story for another day. But um, <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't necessarily agree with him, but had to go with it. And I remember um, the, the most vivid memory that I had was when we were fourth and one in New England during the Tuckroo game on midfield. And the play before, our guard had mistakenly got the wrong call. I don't know how it happened, but he went the wrong way. Um, We were running one of our notable plays, 14 blasts, that we were notoriously successful on. And the play before in the third down play, we got stuffed in New England for no gain. And we realized what went wrong, so all of us collectively as an offensive line, as an offensive unit, were looking to John Gruden and say, Yo, just run the same play again. We'll get the first down. We'll put this game away. We'll beat New England in New England on the the tuck rule day. And he chose to punt, and we never got the ball back offensively after that. That was a conservative call. That was what we deem these days as an analytical call. Most people will tell you, who study analytics, will tell you that was the right decision when we're going back to what happened against Miami, will tell you that that's the right decision to do with Jacobs. Because statistically or analytically, it's closer to possible with no timeouts and little time on the field that, you know, whomever is at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins will be able to drive the length of the field and get a field goal. I've never believed in analytics. I was always of the mindset... You make it as difficult as on the opponent as possible. So I was in the, 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 it might be deemed as the minority, where score the touchdown, go up by six or seven if you're able to get the two-point conversion, and make the opposing team drive the length of the field to get a touchdown to beat you, no matter how much time is on the field. Or on the clock. Or no matter how, how much you don't believe in your defense, I, it, it doesn't matter. Make a team do the impossible and drive the length to the field. Just a couple weeks before, it was a mismanaged game by the defensive coordinator Greg Williams in New York that provided the miracle in the Meadowlands. The Raiders weren't supposed to score on a long pass to end the game to beat the, to beat the Jets. No, that, that's not supposed to happen. Conversely, what happened with against Miami is not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get a long pass versus, well, they shouldn't have been in cover two for the beginning, but a you know, bad defense along with a face mask that added an extra 15 yards to put you in field position to allow you to kick the winning field goal when you chose to go by two and a field goal beat you. So we're going back to square one to answer your question. I've never believed in... Conservative play, and, and anything I've ever done.
3: Well, the good thing about the Raiders is they're all sorts of exciting this season. You just <laughs> cited these yeah, right? two incredible games: one, 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 in which they won; the other in which they lost. So, I, from an entertainment aspect, which is what I've said a million times, that's what I view sports as. I've been wildly entertained to watch them play. Right. Uh, as far as I don't really get caught up in the results, I just get caught up in the game themselves and how fun it is to watch, and that's been sensational. I'm wondering if it is more a statement on the lack of the faith of the defense that John did what he did.
2: Yes. Absolutely. It is. But, you know what, to, to be fair, because football is a team game, if the defense wants to start pointing fingers, or the offense wants to start pointing fingers at the defense in the locker room. I'm just hypothetical situation. I don't know this because I have not been around the players. I'm only trying to observe from an outsider looking in, and if I was in that situation. If the offense wants to point fingers at the defense, we had to do this because we don't have any confidence in you. Or the defense is saying, well, look, we were playing lights-out ball Basically, for three and a half quarters, you guys should have done your part and scored more points. We would have never been in this position if we had to, if we had more touchdowns and having to settle for field goals. If that becomes the point, then then it, you, what you're inserting is that you're sort of losing in the locker room. Now, I'm the first to tell you because I cover this team. I've seen this team for years now. They need a defensive coordinator who can complement a scheme with the personnel they have. They've invested so much money and so young of talent, they need a new innovative mind to come in there and transform this defense in order to make it competitive in the National Football League. They did not have that. But over the last couple of games since Paul Gunther has been fired, the defense has been playing statistically better. So in a team game, the offense needs to give them the benefit of the doubt. Hey, look, you go out there and score points. Allow us to try to shut people down. We're not going to be perfect at times. But because the offense's inability during the Miami game to put this game away, when they still Miami still had two of that quarterback, allowed Brian Flores to make the change because we're only down by three. We're on the playoff bubble, We need this game. Let me put something in that's going to change the tone of this game. Everyone who studies Miami knows that uh, uh, Fitzpatrick brings a spark. He makes those throws that Tua is not confident enough to make right now. Everyone has seen that. The games that he's won, he's done that. So the Raiders knew what they had in a waiting quarterback on the sideline. But because you did not put the game away, you gave life to a a Miami team that wants to go to the playoffs. This is what you got, and that's exactly what they saw. So, yes, the defense was going to be on the heels, but the offense, in my opinion, dropped the ball by not scoring enough points to put this game away to begin with.
0: So, there are gamers, and then there is whatever that last snap was for the Dolphins. That, well, I don't know if it was the last snap, maybe they ran one more. But uh, how do you complete a pass 35 yards down the sideline while your helmet is getting spun around by the face mask? And your head's inside it. That was one of the more incredible throws I've ever seen. And it was still wobbling up there, and it looked like he you know, had a fair catch a punt down the sideline. And I don't know where the Raider defense was. Had That ball was in the air forever. But nonetheless, as a gamer, that was an incredible play by Fitzpatrick.
2: Well, there's no doubt about it. First of all, um, in my impression, the Raiders should not have been in cover, two. Secondly, it's it's again, it's my impression that a corner, Damon Arnett, who's a rookie in the league, and rookies make mistakes, is not used to playing cover two. When you follow his career at Ohio State, he was either a, a boundary corner or a press man corner that was used to playing man coverage, not playing cover two zone. Okay, so that's the first and foremost. He was out of position. He was supposed to, you know, on on the old basis of cover two, the corner is supposed to delay the release of the the receiver on his side, and he's supposed to watch the flat. Well, with the back or the tight end staying in for max protection, which the Dolphins had – There's no one for him to release to or look for. He should not. He should be running with that receiver for an additional 10, 15 yards. Isaiah Johnson, who was a safety on that, there was no other receiver in his vicinity, but he was worried about the seam route that the Dolphins had showed early, and he was late into getting his over to his responsibility of covering that receiver. So there was that 10, 15-yard hole that happened to someone who one of Isaiah Johnson is more of a corner than a safety. He was playing out of position due to injury and and uh, lack of personnel. He had to cover that position. He was late getting over there. He should have been over there a lot sooner. And this is the same thing that plagued the Raiders when uh, Worley was playing safety the week before against the Chargers. And the way the Chargers beat the Raiders by running the same route versus cover two to beat them and, and, and score two, two, two consecutive touchdowns. So you know, in, in summation, what we have here, guys, is that there were a number of times with the Raiders defense, especially in the secondary, that people were either out of position, didn't know what they were supposed to be doing, or didn't know how to play it correctly. And that can be completely attributed to the lack of practice, the fact that both the defensive back and the secondary coach were not present at the game because they were released during, not released, they were off due to COVID list responsibilities. They couldn't be at the game. So then you had Mike Mayock was in charge of personnel along with another assistant coach calling the defensive secondary go figure <laughs> you see what i'm saying this is what yeah. the raiders were dealing with not to make excuses because COVID has affected every team, but when you look at this team and you look at its demise in the second half, there are a number of things that I can push pins at and say, this is the cause, this is the reason, this is what's, what's going to happen. What's got to happen in the future is this team needs to hire a defensive coordinator that can create a scheme that can best utilize the athletes that he has available on this team without having to go outside or look for free agency. They still need an impact player on any level of this defense, whether it's defensive line linebackers or secondary, they need an impact player, high impact player, and they don't have a lot of resources to come into it because they've already extended the resources and they still have to offensive fine tune. In the future, in twenty one, I'm hoping that this Raider defense can be competitive. I'm not saying they need to be lights out. I'm not saying they need to be shut down, but they need to be competitive. They need to be middle-of-the-range competitive in order for this offense to do what it has to do. And believe me, this offense still needs adjustments as well. So we can go ahead and some conversations on where they should go, what they should be doing.
3: You speak of Tua, you know, Miami's winning games. You know, one of them, I would say one of the bigger surprises maybe having them being 10-5 going into the last game. And Tua's got modest stats. He's not throwing for a ton of yards. He doesn't turn the ball over too. I think he only has two interceptions. But you talk about him, you know, he wasn't ready to make those plays that Fitzpatrick is. And Fitzpatrick's been in the league for a good long time. But the Dolphins, I don't know that they've been able to answer. Is Tua a franchise QB going forward, what do you think?
2: I think he can be. One of the main criticisms that came out of to his career was one, he was injury riddled and he doesn't have a big frame. That's something he has to work on on his own. But also the mentality to pull, you know, to, to, to pull on this level, the professional level, because he did it in college. He showed it when he was at Alabama. The biggest thing between him and Jalen Hurts when he was at Alabama is that he wasn't afraid to pull that trigger. He's an athlete, but in this level what he struggled with is with the speed of the NFL and the coverages of the NFL really making that decisive and and, and taking that chance at pulling the trigger and getting the ball downfield. They've got a running game. Now, what Brian Flores and his staff in Miami has been able to do, in my opinion, is take virtually a bunch of no-names on defense. Because if you look at it, other than Howard, who are you going to say that is a considerable name on defense? Take a bunch of no-names on defense and have them playing inspiredly well under a 3-4 system that he stole from Belichick that he took from New England and say so, but he took from New England. Okay, so the defense is what sets them apart. On top of that, they've got incredible production out of you know two former Huskies, Ahmed, and as well as uh, Miles Gaston's go dogs, uh, and you know they've been able to take that their running game over. So they're building in the right direction, and they've got. A ton of commodity and draft choices and pay in a salary cap room to make this team a you know a legitimate contender I don't know how good they'll be able to stand up against the Kansas cities, but they can they can get there, and I think they're going to be going good from this point forward. Yes, Tua is a franchise quarterback it's It's disappointing to see Fitzpatrick have to sort of fade, but he can be gone that go down as a proverbial backup anywhere he goes because he's capable of playing, and he proved that.
0: So the Chiefs are 14-1, and one, but they have won six straight games by six points or less. They have had some nail-biters. They were very fortunate the Falcons missed a field goal that was completely makeable to uh, avoid overtime this past week. And I've been wondering why this happened. I read a story that they have had just offensive line issues. It's been one guy after another. Never a wave of them, but like every couple weeks there's a problem, and sometimes they've got to move a guy because of a problem. So really it's two changes because of one injury. Is that why this is close? Is the league catching up to them? Is it more the injuries in the O-line? Is it something else?
2: Yes. <laughs> First of all, I'll say a win is a win. It doesn't matter if you win by one or 31. It's still a win. And and so you, you have that. Patrick Mahomes is going to be a force in this league, as you already know. He's you know on set to be a, a future first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no denying that. But every good team has had sort of a chink in their armor. It's whether or not you can expose it. When the Raiders played the Chiefs back in, in week five of this year – When Kelechi Ossimile went down with double knee injuries on a freak play, the Raiders were able, defensive line were able to take advantage of the the sort of uh, quickly pieced together offensive line to generate pressure, to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, to make him uncomfortable for them to win that game. Now, if you can do that every week, that's going to be a noticeable chink in the Kansas City Chiefs' armor. However, they still have great offensive firepower. They still find a way to win on special teams. They still find a way with Steve Spagnoli, who's probably going to be a future head coach, another head coach in the National Football League in one of these uh, vacant positions, to 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 get that push or to find that defensive stop to make those plays. So it doesn't matter if you're winning by one or thirty-one. A win is a win, and they're still winning.
3: Dwayne Haskins gets uh, released by uh, the Washington. I call them the Pigskins. I think that's the name they should adapt. Then <laughs> they could still still be called the Skins. But anyway, right. he comes out and he makes this statement. Boogie McFarlane makes this statement that I wanted to get your reaction to. And he talks about how today's players come into the league not thinking, how can I be a better player? How can I be a better teammate? And he specifically, obviously, he's African-American, so – Let's call it like it is. He can say this. Uh, he said, I'm going to go ahead, especially with a a league of that's made up 70% of African Americans in the league. He says, here's what they, here's what they come in saying. They come in saying, how can I build my brand better? How can I build my social media following better? How can I work on an Instagram and show everybody that I'm ready to go? But when I get in the game, I don't perform. And he compares Haskins to Jamarcus Russell. These are two quarterbacks, African American quarterbacks, obviously. That ends up being bust. What's your reaction to McFarlane, who has, you know, a broadcaster of some stature, much like yourself, making these statements about these young kids coming into this league and not thinking the way they should be in terms of making themselves a better football player, a better teammate, that type of thing?
2: You know, the thing is is that when you, you break down the comments and you understand what Booger is trying to say, uh, and understand the, the remedy, remedy of the, the situation, you take in consideration that I thought Jamarcus Russell, I thought that Haskins both came in this league unprepared to deal with the world of the NFL. Now, I say that because the world of the NFL is different than the NBA. It's different than Major League Baseball. It's different than hockey. You know, you have young guys that come in with very little college experience or, you know, however you describe their college experience, coming into the world, especially when it comes to quarterback, which is the most prolific in in the sports world because it carries the most pressure, both good and bad, whether or not they're ready for that responsibility. Haskins had one, uh, had one good year at Ohio State. And I've often referred to underclassmen that come in out of high school or uh, one year in college to the NBA as half-baked pies. They don't really know their true potential because they don't know what life is like on this level. And especially for when it comes to quarterback. And when you're quarterbacking, it doesn't matter any team it doesn't matter if you're Jacksonville it doesn't matter if you're Washington it doesn't matter whomever Seattle whatever you come in with the responsibility of being the the uh, being the impact or being the 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 the, the, the most person that the, the focus the most focal point person of that team you are the identity of that team if you're caught in strip clubs with strippers you're the identity of the team you make that team look bad whether it was innocent or what have you you, you, you make that team look bad. James Harden with Houston having a birthday party at a strip club up oh, makes it look bad. COVID, you don't all these days and all these things uh, that are exposed to that that especially when it comes to social media. I have come across many players in this day and age, and I've said that players are different this day because they're more concerned about their social media presence than they are their performance presence. It's a shame. It's a travesty to the game, but it is what it is. I've come across many guys that say, you know what, when you ask how long you want to play, well, you know what, I just want to go through my rookie contract, want to test free agency, and then I want to work on my rap career, or I want to work on modeling, or I want to work on being an actor, or I want to you know, raise my social media brand because I want to be famous on TikTok, TikTok whatever the hell it is. It, it, it is what it is, and that's what you're dealing with these days. Um, unfortunately for the game, you, you'll, you'll tend to pull a team down with you. You know, Alex Smith will probably get the comeback player of the year. If you see the pictures of what he went through in his leg and his performance, well, that's what we want our we want our athletes to be. We want our athletes to be seen, not necessarily heard. We want them to be on the field. We want them to perform, not necessarily what, what they do off the field. We don't care about that. It's unfortunate uh, that, that Booger has to attack it from a perspective of black and white because I don't want to mix color into it. But on top of that, you don't see – have to call it like it is. You don't see a white quarterback doing the same thing as much as you do a black quarterback that becomes deemed detrimental to the team. That forces the team to take drastic circumstances where they're releasing a former number one pick so
4: early in his career.
0: Last thing before we let you go, the Seattle Seahawks defense. PK was pumping the Seahawks as a Super Bowl team right out of the gate because the offense was awesome, and Russell Wilson was in Patrick Mahomes' territory just doing whatever he wanted. But as the season's gone along... That Seattle defense, now the offense isn't as explosive as it was, but the Seattle defense, they give up 23 points or more in every single one of their first nine games. Last six games, they haven't given up 23 points once. What has Pete Carroll done? Is it changing personnel? Is it just coaching guys up? He's not the most popular guy. I know he rubs people the wrong way. But that's that's an amazing turnaround for their defense.
2: You know what? You know, I have to disagree with you slightly because when you talk to Seahawks players they love Pete Carroll
0: oh yeah no no I know I'm talking about more about oh. the, the fans and the media and maybe it's still oh, yeah. some well, USC I mean, stink
2: to make an excuse especially when yeah. when you know defensive minded coaches struggle to do what they do to Best, but you know, all along it's always been about whether or not Seattle is going to come around. They're a fan favorite for a number of reasons because you know you like Russell Wilson; he's a likable person. You take the good stories that are on that team; they're likable, and then they find a way to collection and bring it together. They were a different team without Jamal Adams, and when he was injured and inconsistent, they didn't have the punch that this defense did. Now that he's back, he's one of those impact players that I wish the Raiders would have uh, at some extreme, um, and they found a way to motivate their guys and raise them to a different level and take over this division notoriously they're coming on late they only really had to contend with the rams because i think the cardinals are a year away 49ers are decimated by injury you get yourself in the playoff anything can happen and because the nfc is such a coin flip there's not a totally dominant team like you can you can probably make the argument for it in the afc that it's anyone's game so Seattle's right where they want to be
0: Well, Lincoln, as always, we appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, joining us, and uh, Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you guys. I really appreciate being with you. Thank you for having me.
0: There's Lincoln Kennedy. When we come back, Andy Bailey covers the Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report. What do we make of the Jazz? What do we make of the Gobert contract and the Jazz ability to be an elite team, one of the best in the league going forward? We'll talk with him next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Andy Bailey, covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report. He joins the show once again. Andy, good morning.
4: Good morning. How are you guys?
0: Excellent. We are curious about many things you think about the start of this NBA season. Why don't we start with the Jazz? Three games in... Are they who you thought they were? Should Jazz fans really be getting their hopes up? How different are they than the team that's finished, uh, you know, has been a five or six seed four years in a row in the playoffs? What are you thinking?
4: I think they look good. Um, that that seems like a really <laughs> simple response, but I, I'm not sure there's a ton to learn about this team uh, anymore. There, there's a lot of continuity here, especially in comparison to a lot of other teams around the league. I think the addition of favors is going to be very helpful, and he's he's in a much smaller role than he had when he was with Utah last. Um, But their big weakness last season was when Rudy Gobert was off the floor. Things just kind of fell apart. And theoretically, that shouldn't happen anymore. I mean, Derek Favors is not quite as impactful as Gobert, but he's certainly a lot more impactful than Tony Bradley and Ed Davis and, and sort of fill-in center here that, that played that role last season. And then I think if we're looking for another key difference, and he was on the team last season, um, but he certainly looks sharper to start this year than he did last year, as Mike Conley. Um in fact, if, if you were going to you know, sort of power rank jazz players through three games, he might be there at the top, um, you know, maybe right there with Rudy. So if he's locked in um, and he's kind of picked up where he left off when he was healthy last season, um, they have a chance to make some noise. Now, in the West, that always comes with the caveat that, you know, six or seven teams in the West have a chance to make some noise. I don't know if they've taken a huge step forward, but I, I think signs are encouraging. Um you know, they probably should have beaten OKC by more than they did last night. But I think that comes down to just missing shots that they're typically going to make. And I think they look pretty good.
3: So when you talk about it's a huge step forward, you know, there remains to be seen. I get your premise right now and don't have any problem with that. And we'll find out when we get to the postseason. But as you look at the West, can you view any of those teams that are in that mix as taking a huge step forward from where they were last season?
4: That's a good question. Um, you know, if I had to peg one team that I think is, you know, probably a lot better, it's the Phoenix Suns. Um, and I think that goes back a little bit to what they did last season. They, they obviously played inspired basketball in the bubble and they finally had a chance to see extended minutes with Booker and Ayton minutes and, and some of their younger wings together. And then if you suddenly add Chris Paul to that mix, um, I think that's just another team that's in this. I, I don't even know how big the range is now. Maybe teams like two through eight or two through nine, something like that. There's not a lot of separation between those teams, and I think we can reasonably say that Phoenix is in that bunch now, um, right there with Utah, Denver. Um, I think the Clippers maybe have taken a step back into that group. Um, so, so there's a team that is added to it and makes that group a little bit bigger. Um, so, yeah, if I I think a lot of teams, despite, you know, a lot of player movement this this past offseason, a lot of teams, I think, are similar to what they were last year. There was a lot of player movement, but it wasn't like the year before where stars moved. It was a lot of role player movement. Um, so I, I think a lot of teams made moves on the fringes. And, it, you know, we, we have a long way to go before we see who, who made the more significant moves. But if I had to pick one right now, I, I'd probably say Phoenix.
0: So even with those significant moves, I got to admit I have a hard time seeing them as one of the top six teams in the West. Is that just uh, because I've seen them flounder for a decade, and I'm not uh, I'm I'm holding 2017 against them, and I shouldn't?
4: Or 2012? No, I I think that's fair. Um, I, I think when you have languished for as long as the Suns have, I, I totally think that's fair. What? What encourages me about them, uh, you know, if I'm a Suns fan or, or just somebody who enjoys the league, is they already had a very good plus-minus when when they had certain guys on the floor last year. Like, I think when it was Rubio, Aiton, and Booker, they were something like plus-eight per 100 possessions or plus-seven, some, somewhere in their range, and that's solid. Um, and if you, you take Rubio out and put Chris Paul in those minutes – Um, theoretically that's an upgrade and Rubio was great for them Uh, he, he fit really really well but a lot of the things that he provided Chris Paul provides those things and then some so I think they should be better I just I like the way those pieces fit Booker is a top-tier scorer, and I, I think he took a real step forward last season. To me, he was always sort of an empty-calories production guy for the years up to last season. And he finally, I think, started to leverage that towards winning. And then you've got, I, I think, a very talented big. I think people would perceive DeAndre Eaton differently if he was in a different draft class. The fact that he's in that same group with Luka Doncic and Trey Young, he, he's always going to be kind of forgotten guy from that group, um, and then you've got a solid point guard, obviously, future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul, and, and some really versatile wings in Bridges and Johnson. I, just, I, I think the puzzle pieces there fit together nicely, and again, I, I think I could give a glowing sort of projection for seven or eight teams in the West, so even though I, you know, I like the way Phoenix looks, and I think they should be better this year, they, they could still conceivably finish ninth or tenth, because there's just so many good teams in the West.
3: When you look at Gobert signing and what it means for the next three or four years relative to the value that he's going to give them and the hit on the salary cap, what do you make of that decision?
4: I I thought it's exactly what Utah needed to do. Um, I think it was predictable the way a lot of people who don't pay close attention to the Jazz called it an overpay. Um, And I can see, you know, you look at that, price tag and you look at his skill set in comparison to what the rest of the league does and I, I think it's natural to think wow how, how are they paying Rudy Gobert that much money um, but if you're if you're plugged into the Jazz and you've seen what he's done for the last five or six years um, it almost feels like a no brainer they are just significantly better when he plays and I think more importantly just over the course of Donovan Mitchell's career um Utah is a minus when Mitchell plays without Gobert, and they're a significant plus when when they play together. Um, so even though we, we see a lot of centers who shoot threes, who pass, who handle the ball, um, and that's that's certainly in vogue right now, there's, there is a place for Rudy Gobert in the league. I mean, he is a game-changing defensive player. Um, you know, I've long thought it it's not quite to the same degree, but the way that, you know, James Harden is like a one-man offense, I think Rudy Gobert is a one-man defense. I think you could put him on just about any team in the league and compete for a top 5 to 10 defense. Um, so that's huge. And then, you know, where he's continues to be underrated is on the offensive end. People say, well, you know, he doesn't he doesn't shoot jumpers, he's got no post moves. But if you have a guy who uses nine or ten possessions a game as efficiently as Gobert does, I mean, that, that is a huge boost to your offense. So I, I think it was a deal that Utah, frankly, had to do. Um, I still think that he works in today's NBA. I think Utah has some lineup possibilities that really unlock him. And I think long-term, if Donovan Mitchell is your one, he's your five, and you have shooters who can kind of switch on the perimeter on defense in between them, I I think that's a recipe for a very, very good team.
0: So is it a recipe for a championship team? Can they afford enough offense and shooters around him, given what he's going to do on defense and what he's going to provide when you free him up for those dunks on those pick-and-rolls and on the putbacks? Is there going to be enough there that plausibly they could put it all together? Because I think when people say they overpay him, I think for a lot of people, you're right, for the people who aren't plugged in close, they're just saying, well, they overpaid him. But for a lot of people, it's like, well, that's awesome, but they're not going to have enough money now to put a championship team around him.
4: Well, I think that depends largely on – so I, what I think – let me let me back up. Foundationally, they have a team that's going to be in the playoffs every single year now, and I think there's value in that by itself. I think if you've got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on your team, you're not going to miss the playoffs. Um, and I think they already have a bunch of role players who fit those two very well. I mean, last season, the lineup of Mitchell – O'Neill, Ingalls, Bogdanovich, and Gobert was very, very good. And I, I hope they get to that more. And I know I just said that conley has been one of their best players so far this season, but I like when they can go a little bit bigger um, at those spots, two through four. So I think they've got a great baseline. Um, to become legitimate, like I think they're going to win the title or a title favorite or, or, or even just a contender, I think that may depend more on Donovan Mitchell. Um, than Rudy Gobert, frankly, because I I think we've kind of seen Gobert ceiling. I don't expect him to suddenly be like, you know, Jokic as a passer or Joel Embiid as a post player. Um, We've seen that he can dramatically impact a game as a defender and a rim roller, and I don't think there's going to be much more added to that. If Donovan Mitchell, on the other hand, goes from, you know, I, I would say he's probably in the top, you know, 25 to 30 range right now in terms of individual players. I still think he has the potential to be a top 10 to 15 guy. If he gets there, uh, I I think this is a title contender. Um, A lot of people don't put Rudy Gobert in that group, but it just in terms of impact, I I think you can make an argument that he's there. And when you have two top 10 to 15 guys and a bunch of solid role players and, and good coaching, um, it's not the same formula as the Lakers, who have two top five players and, and can get you know, solid players on the veteran minimum every single season. Um, but we've seen random years where the, the superstar and a big market model doesn't work. There's the 2011 Mavericks. There's the 2004 Pistons. Um, I, I think they've given themselves a good baseline. And if Mitchell can sort of hit mm-hmm. top tier potential, they, they are a title contender.
3: Yeah, too. Wouldn't the Jazz be able to get those veterans that you're talking about going forward because they know that they're going into it, they know what their role will be, they know what their money will be, and they know they're going to be on a playoff team, as you said?
4: Yeah, I think they're more likely to do that than they were in the past, and I think we've seen evidence of that um, in the last few years. The Joe Johnson signing, even though he was only there for a year and he was at the tail end of his career, that, that signaled some kind of a, a shift to me. Um, that a big-name player was willing to go to Utah, which wasn't always a desirable market because he saw that it was a winner. There's good coaching there. Um, I think Donovan Mitchell is a dynamic personality who could attract some players as well, just just him personally. Um, so I, I think free agent recruiting is going to be different for this team than it was five, ten years ago. Um, they're, they're still going to have a hard time competing with the likes of the Lakers or the Heat, Um there's just some built-in advantages that those teams have. The Lakers have their history, um, you know, the ocean, all all kinds of stuff that players are drawn to. Um, But Utah is certainly more of a player in free agency than I think it was, you know, before the Quinn Snyder era.
0: Yeah, I think the thing about paying Rudy is, will role players want to play with him? Because a lot of times you're going – and you're thinking, well, that guy's getting paid. He's going to get the shots. And Rudy's getting paid, but what he's going to get is you know, two layups and six dunks and probably yeah. only ten shots total. So there's still shots there, which gives you a chance to score, which means if you're young enough to leverage another deal, you got a chance to leverage another deal because you got a chance to score and to win. And I think that's the hand that they get to play in free agency that a lot of teams don't get to play.
4: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And that's something that I've thought about with Gobert for years now. I I look at him and I think that's a superstar that everyone should want to play with. I know that there was some grumbling last season about, you know, he wasn't getting enough touches and he's wide open under the rim and not getting the ball sometimes. Um, But generally speaking, if you're a role player or even a scorer around him, you're going to get way more offensive opportunities than you would alongside just about any other star in the league I mean like you said it's just 9 or 10 possessions per game that he uses and then he saves your rear end on the defensive end possession after possession um, so we don't hear about him being an unselfish player very often because he's, you know, he's not going to put up big assist numbers. That's just not his role um, within that system, nor should it be. But he really is an unselfish player. I mean, he does all the little things. I know that's a cliche, but he, you know, he sets screens. I know there's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of weeping and wailing about the screen assist. A lot of people around the league say, let's stop talking about that. But that's impactful. Um, the way he plays defense is impactful. The way that he runs to the rim and draws defenders to the paint uh, is impactful. Even if he doesn't get the ball on all those rolls, um, that gives an extra split second to the three-point shooters on the catch. Like, every little thing that he does makes a difference, and he's not using up a ton of possessions to do it.
3: So you mentioned the ocean as a drawing card. How about the Great Salt Lake? <laughs>
4: um <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you guys would know better than me. Maybe, maybe you should put together some kind of uh, recruiting package that, that compares those two.
0: Come to Utah, and I will take you to the Spiral Jetty. No, I have been to the Spiral well, Jetty. I mean, That's not going to sell anybody.
4: Sorry. Take them to... Zion National Park or some of the... Well, that's got a chance. That, you know, yeah, like Moab's yeah. got
0: a chance, right? But not, <laughs> there you go. not the Great Salt Lake. You know, we'll walk about a half mile off uh, Antelope sure. Island and eventually we'll be in mud. No, it's not <laughs> it's good. sort of pretty to look it at when you're flying cover. into town? It is pretty to look at, yes. <laughs> Don't get too no close question. to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the standings are upside down right now. Which teams that are off to... Which are supposed to be good and are off to terrible starts, are actually going to be terrible. And which teams that are supposed to be bad and are off to good starts are, are actually going to be good. I mean, Cleveland and Orlando and Atlanta are 3-0. and And Toronto yeah. is 0-2. And the Jazz have lost playoff series to the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Rockets the last four years. And they're combined 2-6. and six. So which of this is early season flukes, and which is a sea change for one of these teams?
4: Well, I'll start with what I think is an easy one. I think the Warriors are just going to be bad. Um, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are not going to perform this poorly for the entire season. I mean, some of the numbers on them are startling. I think Oubre's 0 for 17 from 3. And I I actually think he hasn't made anything other than a dunk and maybe one layup, Um, you know, of of all of his field goals. he's, He's just been awful. Andrew Wiggins hasn't been much better. Um, they're going to be better, but when I watch them play, it feels very much like the start of last season. Um, Stephen Curry is a guy who can you know, really raise the ceiling of a team, but I'm not sure he's like dominate every single possession and just will your team to win type of a superstar like maybe James Harden is or LeBron James Um, and that supporting cast around him right now just looks really really bad and I'm already sort of imagining (laughs) them going after Cade Cunningham um, in this next draft I I just I don't see it with them beyond Stephen Curry I think James Wiseman looks a little bit better than I thought he would Um, but he's a rookie so I I, I'm not sure he's going to be enough to he and Curry together to will them into that play-in situation. So I think they may just be bad. Um, Those teams at the top of the East are fascinating to me. I I still think, you know, when when the dust settles and everybody's kind of figured things out after the first couple weeks, Orlando's probably going to settle back into, you know, being around 500, as they've been for years. Um, I think Atlanta will be better than they were last year. I mean, offensively, they've got so many weapons now with Trey Young and Gallinari and Um, They're going to be difficult to guard, but I think they'll come back down to earth a little bit too because, you know, as much offense as they have, there's almost no defense. Um, and then if I had to pick one team in that bunch that I think really comes back down to earth, it's probably the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, they haven't they haven't really played a murderer's row <laughs> to this point. Um, and I, you know, they should be better. Colin Sexton's young. He's improvement, improving, Darius Garland is improving. Um, but I, I just, I have a hard time seeing them. Main, they're certainly not going to maintain this level of play. I mean, they're they're obviously not going to go undefeated, but I also think they'll probably come back down to earth to the point that they're sub 500. Um, I don't know, probably two or three weeks from now. Um, you know, I think back to, I don't even know how long ago this was, but Michael Carter-Williams rookie season with the Process Sixers, and I think they even started 3-0. and And we get really excited about some of those crazy starts, and then things normalize, and, and, and I think that's probably what will happen to a team like Cleveland.
0: Well, Andy, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on, and uh, Happy New Year.
4: Thanks, guys. Happy New Year to you, too.
0: There's Andy Bailey. Love having him on from Bleacher Report coming to Jazz and the NBA. What is trending? All the headlines coming up next.